Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to 2018 and a new season of the Selling the Couch podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Hope you had a fantastic new year and... Hope that 2018 is starting off wonderfully well for you. So I have been a little low key. And the reason is because I was in India for two weeks. Uh, My brother got engaged and we wanted to visit family. We're very fortunate right now uh, to have several of our grandparents still living there in their upper 80s and low 90s. And You know, I just felt like to connect with family and just to be able to see them, it just felt really important to do that. And so uh, I had a good time, still a little, little, I'm actually recording this ahead, but uh, I imagine if this were recorded as then, I imagine that I would be quite still a little bit jet lagged, but thank you again for tuning in. And today's podcast conversation is actually a super practical conversation. It's actually with a local practitioner here in Philly. Uh, Her name is Ilona Naroditsky, and she's a licensed professional counselor. And Ilona and I had actually connected through a meetup group that Deb Owens, who is one of the other local clinicians here in the area, actually runs. And uh, I think, I believe like one time Alona was in the, yeah, she was, in the table that, you know, I got to lead. And then another time I was at the table that she led and she talked all about autism and sort of the autism spectrum. And she actually has built this practice here locally called the Spectrum of Solutions, and you can find more about it at sostherapyservices.com. Very creative, by the way, but she actually built an entire practice on working uh, with families, especially with kiddos with developmental, emotional, and behavioral concerns. And today's podcast, we're just talking about her private practice journey, uh, some of the ideas around how she found her niche how she's been able to use a very personal experience to hone in and find a niche. But then just from a practical perspective, how do you sort of not, what's that fine line between taking a personal experience and finding a niche and then not over empathizing and actually doing a disservice to clients and in marketing and all of those different things. And then we talk a little bit about her fees and what motivated her to actually post her fees on her private practice website. This is a a super, just a a good conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. You can follow along to show notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one for 
three. Uh, so we'll get right to it. So here's my conversation with Ilona Naroditsky over at SOSTherapyServices.com. Hi, Lona. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. It's good to be here. I'm so grateful. Like We've been able to connect a couple of times. I was very fortunate when you uh, to be part of the roundtable that you led a couple of months ago here in our local meetup of therapists, where you talked a lot about autism and autism spectrum, and I felt like I just took a lot of notes. So grateful, <laughs> grateful for you, grateful for your knowledge and the way that you serve our community. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure getting to know you too. Yeah, no, it's been fun. I wanted to reach out to you because I don't know, you're just doing some amazing things. And I think one of the most beautiful things that you're doing with your private practice is you've really like honed in on the people that you want to serve. And you've just been able to create this practice that I think I just can't wait to hear about it. So thanks. I thought I would just start at the top. So your practice is called the Spectrum of Solutions, and you work with families with children with developmental or emotional or behavioral kind of concerns. Uh, I feel like for many of us, we struggle sometimes to find a niche to figure that out. How did you decide on your niche? So uh, it wasn't a quick decision. I kind of grew into it. I started my career out as a therapist, partial hospital therapist in a geriatric program right out of college. <laughs> so very far. Wow, so different. That <laughs> yes, I'm working with right now. But, you know, I was in my early 20s, just out of Temple University. I kind of just took the job that was offered to me because mm. it was <laughs> hard to find something. And I did enjoy partial hospital work. And I actually did not ever think that I would work with children. I wanted to work with adults. Mm. So that was my initial plan <laughs> going into you know, this field. But I did always know that I wanted to have private practice and that I wanted to have a counseling center and have multiple providers. So I had my mindset on that. And then in 2003, I had a baby. It was a boy. And he was diagnosed with autism in 2007. Hmm. And around that time, I became interested in autism and started educating myself more about it and attending different trainings and started to look for services for my son, realizing that there's not enough services and the services that are there are not necessarily sufficient and I'm not entirely happy with them. So why don't I make something on my own. Mm. So that's how I kind of fell into this population <laughs> as a parent. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad. Like, I didn't know, you know, we've talked privately about sort of what motivated you. And I didn't know that you were actually going to share. And I really am grateful that you shared that personal experience. Because I think for many of us, like when we do pick the niches or the populations that we work with, it is based on kind of some level of personal experience, right? And not at all to put you on the spot, but like, I imagine, you know, for me, like, as I began to start to work with entrepreneurs, like, it's this double-edged sword, like, on one hand, like, it really resonates for me, because, you know, I live it. And I imagine for you, right, like, it's something that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Which I think can be, I would imagine it's got pros and cons, right? And so I wanted to kind of like dive maybe a little deeper into that. What's been, I guess, looking back now, right? Gosh, it's been, has it really been 13, 14 years now? Yeah, he's 14. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I guess, what's been the advantage in your private practice to focusing on a niche that is personal for you? 
Well, the advantage has been that I can relate to the families of children that I work with more so than perhaps providers who don't have uh, personal experience with parenting a child on the spectrum. Certain parents seek out providers who really get it and who really know what it's like and who kind of walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Mm. And that being said, I don't necessarily disclose to every client that I'm a parent of a child on the spectrum. I don't keep it a secret, but, you know, just like with any other personal disclosure in therapy, if it's helpful, we can use it. So I feel like it has been helpful in many cases. So that's the advantage. I kind of know how my target population thinks. Mm sometimes. And that can help me with, you know, some marketing ideas, clinical ideas, the services that are needed that I'm offering. So I feel like I'm in tune with the community that I'm serving. Yeah, so you said a lot of just awesome stuff there. So I think one thing I heard was that it really helps you to bridge that link between the academic and sort of real world, right? So that's Mm -hmm. a huge advantage. And then the other part of it is, because you live this and have that personal experience. It's a great, I don't know if the word lab is coming to me. I know that's like a, not the right word, but like, it's a good, like, I guess, way to think about like how to market, what services and opportunities you provide, all of those different things. Is that right? Did I hear you? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think the other side of that is like, for me, sometimes like I over empathize with the situation, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I'm going through like, so if someone says something, that's like a client says something that's remotely related, right? It's like my heart may almost like over empathize. I wonder if you could speak to the other side of that, like sort of the struggle or the disadvantage of focusing on a niche that is so personal. Yes. So uh, that is that is a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that living this life for the past 14 years has helped just like with any personal issue we go through stages of getting adjusted to the new life situation and you know the grieving and all that stuff so maybe there was a time when it would have been more difficult or it was more difficult for me but it's gotten easier over time and I just like to focus on helping families find solutions you know the spectrum of solutions (laughs) that is the name of my practice And I just enjoy sharing my experience and sharing my knowledge. And I feel like I have a lot to give. And my practice is not just me doing what I'm passionate about, but it's also giving back to the community (laughs) and sharing my knowledge with people. And I also learn from the clients that I work with. It's Mm. like we get each other. I get ideas from other parents. They get ideas from me. It's a very collaborative process when I work with other parents with children on the spectrum. And they know I get it. And it really helps in that collaboration. Yeah, no, I think like what I hear in all of that is like you have this wealth of personal knowledge. You have obviously a lot of like academic knowledge, but despite all of that, and I think this is like really wise, and I think it speaks to your humility, right? Like realizing you do have that knowledge, and yet there is still so much you don't know. Absolutely. And I think it's just a great skill as a clinician, but I think also just as a, a business owner, realizing that no matter how 
much we've been in private practice or the way that it's evolved, still realizing there are things that we don't know, right? Yes. You said a little bit earlier that sort of tension of like over empathizing, over connecting, it's gotten easier over time. What do you think it is? Was it just the fact of like time or is it just the fact of like increased self-awareness or what do you think has made that easier? <laughs> well, I think it's uh, it is increased self-awareness mm-hmm. and my own journey as a parent of a child with special needs and my own acceptance of what that entails. And so that, you know, I don't get triggered by certain things because I'm in the problem solving self-accepting mode. Mm. <laughs> and that that is very helpful. So time has a lot to do with it and a lot of work on myself and the support that I got and services that I received for myself that I know are proven (laughs) by time and, you know, quality. And I can put myself in a position where, you know, I can say that I've been through this. I'm coping. I know how to cope. I figured out a way I can help you do the same. No, I like the way that you're sort of like thinking and orienting about that. I wanted to shift a little bit. And, you know, I, I feel like in this podcast and, you know, when a lot of like, private practice like experts or coaches like talk about this idea of finding a niche right and you initially started working with the geriatric population switched over to kids but you didn't actually just work with kids you even niche down even more right like mm-hmm. kids just with developmental emotional and behavioral concerns what fears did you have in being so niched and then like how did you i guess two questions what fears did you have and then how did you walk through those fears about that being so niched so uh... I worked in community mental health for about 10 years before I ventured into private practice. Mm. So I started out in the partial hospital with geriatric population, and then I went into a transitional outpatient program. And the age range there was 18 to maybe 50. So it was adult population, but I got to work with some younger people. And we did have a few older adolescents who were on the spectrum. And at that time, it was extremely rare, and we didn't have any tools to really help them out. So Mm. they were kind of just uh, put in the mainstream of uh, chronic (laughs) mental illness population. So I began to realize that there was a need for these guys to, uh, you know, to get good quality services and for someone to be there to, to help them out and recognize their unique needs. And At the same time, I was planning, I was finishing my master's, actually, I was done my master's degree, I was finishing my licensing hours Mm. and getting ready to get my license. And my plan was, as soon as you get your license, you got to go into private practice, because (laughs) that's what you want to do. I had my focus on that population. And by that time, I also kind of goes together. It's I've done. <laughs> it's been kind of like busy. So as I was saying earlier, when my son needed services, and I couldn't find good quality services for him, I got together with another parent who has a child on the spectrum around my son's age. And we started playing friendship groups for preschoolers on the spectrum. It was kind of like self-initiated. It wasn't a clinical service. I didn't have my license yet, but I had a background in psychology and mental health, and she has a background in education. So we kind of just launched this program, and we brought both of our kids and other you know, parents signed their kids up, and that kind of took off. That was my first experience with 
kind of like entrepreneurial experience mm. where I, I started something with somebody else and we kind of promoted ourselves and had a program running. Was this paid or was this like a, you know, like... This was paid. We didn't really make that much money on it. We charged, you know, participants a reasonable fee mm. for, to have their children participate. But, you know, we split it 50-50 and it was you know, kind of like bare minimum, which allowed us to pay rent every month. Our main goal was to have groups for our children where they can learn and develop. So that was our first experience. And at the same time, I also decided to get trained in floor time. It's a treatment modality for, for children with developmental differences and relating and communicating. So I was doing a lot of work just trying to, it's kind of like that principle for you, first you work for your resume and then you let your resume work for you. So I was working for my resume for much of that time. (laughs) The first 25 years of my life, probably. (laughs) I like that phrase. I'd never heard of it, but that's like so true. (laughs) Yes. So the niche that I found, and then, uh, so I was kind of running this uh, plain friendship group program with a friend, and then I decided to just stick with it and work with children on the spectrum. And my fear was not so much related to the niche that I was picking as it is to go in into private practice mm-hmm. with all the you know financial risks and everything else that comes with that. Another kind of philosophy that I went with was it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than small fish in a big pond. So if you work with this, if you target this very specific population and you become really good at what you do with this population and you become like the go-to person in your community, that provides you with security that you're going to have referrals, you're going to be full and you know exactly what you're doing. You're passionate about it. And, you know, I've had self-doubt, of course, and asked myself how much security I'm going to have financially and am I going to be full with referrals and who is going to refer to me? I have that every day of my life. So (laughs) even as time goes by and I've built a group practice, I still have that, you know, self-doubt on a daily basis. I'm so glad you're saying that because I think... One thing I've realized with STC, and it's like, the more you do it, like, I don't think the fear ever goes away, right? Like, (laughs) I think we were talking about this, you know, before we started the conversation, and I feel like maybe part of it is, it becomes not as like, overpowering, like, I don't know if overpowering is a word, but I think like, I guess we're better able to make peace with it Mm -hmm. as time goes, even though it definitely has moments where it can feel overwhelming. Yes, it's it kind of like just becomes that mindful moment. Oh, it's that self fear, self doubt again. Right. Here you come again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sit with it for a few minutes. <laughs> I wanted to take actually a step back because when you first started that group, like knowing you, I imagine you probably did think of all this stuff. But like, I think there's so much wisdom in how you did it, right? Like, you didn't start trying to offer like five different services, right? You and your friend, you guys focused on one specific thing. You weren't trying to like create this like humongous thing, right? Like it's the whole idea of like the MVP, the minimum viable product, right? So Mm -hmm. like, let's start small, Let's figure out the structure of what this is going to look like. Cost at that point is not necessarily the key thing, right? But it's more figuring out the structure and whether this says people are willing to actually pay for this service, right? Mm -hmm. And all of those things. So 
I don't know. I, I don't know if I have a question. <laughs> More like, I just like the way you approach that because I think there are, you know, I struggle with this. It's like when I have an idea for a new product or a service, I just, I want to imagine that thing 10 years down the line. And I have to remember like I'm on day one or week one. And at that point, it's all about seeing if there's actual public demand, seeing, you know, what the structure is, creating the processes and systems and structures and all of those things. Yes. <laughs> so... I'm a very careful, cautious, conservative person. Mm. I move very slow with my, even though I knew what my dream was down the line to have this, you know, counseling center, I usually take very small steps and make sure that I feel completely comfortable <laughs> where I'm at. And then when I'm comfortable, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to take the next step. So I started those groups. And then when I was ready to go into private practice as a licensed practitioner, I joined the group private practice to kind of learn the ins and outs of how it works. And then after a year... And of course, when you just join a private practice or you go into your own private practice, you, you don't have any clients in the beginning and you're like, I, how am I ever going to get any clients? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people told me, you, you're going to have a waiting list. And that was kind of like, no, you're kidding me. Mm -hmm. So then after a year, I opened my own office. And then after a year, I hired an independent contractor to work with me. And then after another year, I got another one on board. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of adding services and adding providers and expanding my space very slowly <laughs> but it got me to where I am today <laughs> well I mean I think you and I are wired very similarly it's that you know I like gentle half steps you know yes. very slow like a slow motion movie right <laughs> like, <laughs> you know and I think I don't know like having you know these conversations with clinicians what I sort of realize is all of us are at different points on the risk spectrum right and mm -hmm. some people it's like you know, graduate and they jump right into practice, me, that would have terrified me. I'd be mm -hmm. like, no, right? And other people, like, they go to a group practice, they learn systems, they sort of figure out things. And I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think there's a right way to do this. And I think the biggest thing any of us can do is just to honor who we are as people and accept that this is our level of risk tolerance and also be willing to accept that, you know, as we jump in, right, that that level of risk tolerance may fluctuate a little bit one way or the other. Yes, absolutely. It's very important to, for me to remind myself not to compare myself to others all the time. I mean, sometimes it can be good and helpful <laughs> and motivating, but when it gives me anxiety, like, oh, this person is interviewing 10 people at a time and, you know, <laughs> and hiring all these clinicians, that's just not, I would never, I never imagine myself doing that. It's just not how I operate. So I have to remind myself, that's not me. I'm doing it my own way. It's working. I have, you know, years of experience to prove it. So I need to just remind myself of that. Yeah, no, I like that. And you started to talk about this. And I, I wanted to kind of shift to here, which is you now provide services for autism, for anxiety, for ADHD, developmental kind of concerns, behavior, parent mm -hmm. support, you do IEP consultations, mm -hmm. you do social skills. I imagine when you were thinking about the counseling center idea, like all of those are dreams, but I imagine on day one, you weren't like, I'm going to provide all of these services, right? <laughs> yes, yes. 
even though maybe there was a part of you, it's like, maybe you should do all of these things, right? Uh, no, that was never a thought. <laughs> yeah, it was just, okay, so I guess that's what I wanted to ask you. So how did you, like, what was the first service that you offered? And then how did you decide on that very first one? So the first service was very basic. You know, I'm a licensed professional counselor, so it was counseling. It was counseling for children. And by the time I went into private practice, I've had clinical experience with pretty much every age group. Mm. And I wanted to focus on children on the spectrum and, you know, also children who have some issues behaviorally like ADHD. One thing is that I realized very quickly when I went into private practice that when somebody calls and presents with an issue, most of the time it turns out that there's a lot more behind it Mm. (laughs) or there's a totally different issue that needs to be addressed. And all of the services that I'm offering kind of grew out of that realization that, okay, well, this person comes in and they identify as, okay, that this child has uh, maybe anxiety about school or has difficulty making friends. But then there are all these other needs that are there that need to be uh, kind of addressed. And family plays a huge role in the life of every child. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Parenting, the support that the family has. So all of these are kind of, you know, they they compare autism to uh, a puzzle piece and how when you help a child with autism, it's like putting pieces of the puzzle together. So these are all the services that I have in my practice are pieces of the puzzle. That's the best comparison that I can make. No, it's such a great image. So I think what I hear in that is you just listened really well, right, to like Mm -hmm. what clients were saying, and what they were presenting with. And maybe you even had some ideas about potential services, but you tried to validate that or cross check that with what clients were actually saying. Yes, right. Absolutely. I'm just gonna say sometimes it happened by accident. One mm -hmm. of my clients asked me to come to an IEP meeting with them, Mm -hmm. which is something that I've never done before. But Mm -hmm. I said, Okay, I'll go. And then I went and it was something that helped me realize, well, this is something that I help, I can help my clients with and something that's needed. So there comes another service that's offered through my practice. Yeah, no, I think, and that's the thing, right? Like, I feel like one of the keys of adding services is not just like us having an idea of what would work, but actually going and and getting that real life experience of where the demand is, right? And like seeing where there's demand or seeing where there's a gap in services or needs and then creating a service to fill that as opposed to creating a service and hoping that there's a gap there somewhere. You know? Yes, absolutely. We have to listen to what our clients are telling us. Mm. In general, like how do you decide when it's time to add an additional service? Well, it varies. Sometimes, like I said, it could just be uh, incidental. Mm. <laughs> I'm asked to do something and then I realize, okay, this is something that I could do on a regular basis and if there's a need, so that service is offered. Or if, again, my clients ask me, well, do you do this? Do you offer a support group for parents? And I'm very open-minded. <laughs> so if I don't have a service, we can always create a service. Mm. We can pull, you know, our resources uh, that we have in our existing group or maybe look out for outside resources. Sometimes I'll interview a clinician that would like to come on 
board and join group practice and they will present an idea that is unique to them. For example, I could have a clinician come in and say, well, I have a lot of experience working with children with social anxiety, adolescents with social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then we will, we might develop a program together, like a group therapy for children with social anxiety that was not there before. So it's, it's a very organic process. It's not thinking up of an idea and then just trying to plug it in somewhere where it doesn't belong. It's kind of like a process of growth. Yeah. It's also like iterative, right? Like meaning that the first sort of concept around it, that's not the finished product, right? Those are, you're going to tweak and refine and, and think of, you know, is this better in an individual setting, a group setting, like what, you know, and all those kind of considerations. Yes, definitely. I wanted to shift a little bit. And on your website, you clearly list your fees. And, you know, we've, I feel like there's been lots of conversations around whether to list fees and all of those. And I actually fall in the same line with you, which is, you know, I just believe in transparency. And for you, like, how did you decide to list your fees? So for me, that decision came from just listening to private practice podcasts and reading Facebook forums mm-hmm. and kind of following those conversations that people had about uh, that other private practice owners had about listing fees on their websites. And before I started following those discussions on Facebook, I didn't really think about it. So uh, it just wasn't, a, I built my own website. So I just didn't make it a part of my website, but it wasn't intentional. And then uh, it was kind of like, oh, well, it's a good idea to list my fees because first of all, it will eliminate a lot of time that I spend on explaining things to people over the phone. (laughs) Also, at this point of my practice, I'm pretty full. So uh, I don't want to trick people into (laughs) calling me, (laughs) hoping that maybe they will just like me so much over the phone that they won't care about the fees. Mm. I find also that the population that I work with, children and families, I can relate to that population because I have children in the family. Financial side of things is important to me. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's a factor. Even if there's a like the best therapist on earth that I can see, but they charge more than I can afford, I would like to know that beforehand so that I could factor that into my decision making process. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so I guess what I hear in that is multiple considerations. I think a key thing is like, looking at it from the perspective of the client, right? And realizing that, you know, it is important for them to know what the fees are and to set expectations very clearly, even before you have any sort of conversation with them, right? I think what I sort of hear in that is there, I guess maybe I feel like I'm struggling with words today, but like, there's a natural sort of self-selection that may happen, right? Like, right? Like, so when you clearly list your fees, either this works out or this doesn't work out, right? And so... I often like say this, but like time is our most valuable asset. And I used to think a long time income was the most valuable asset, but time is right. So if it's listed on there, you avoid maybe a 10 or 15 minute conversation. Right. Yes. And I, I added the Q&A question after having had many conversations with mm-hmm. potential clients over the phone. I was able to come up with a list of most frequently asked questions. And mm-hmm. I also put it on my website to eliminate, you know, to save me time and to save them time also. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. No, I like that. I wanted to wrap up with just we've talked about this like privately, but like 
you offer something called Lego-based therapy. <laughs> like when I first heard it, you know, and I don't work with kids. I mean, like I have in the past, but definitely not in that space. And it sounded so creative and cool. And I was like, oh, this sounds fascinating. Like one, like how did you decide to incorporate it into your practice? And the other thing I just noticed, like I could see that beat like fitting so well with the population that you serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Lego has been a part of my life for the past 14 years. That's mm-hmm. how old my son is. He's a huge Lego fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go back to him. And he's just, uh, you know, obsessed with Legos, that he can do anything with Legos. So uh, another one of, of those things that I wanted my son to have a Lego group to go to, and mm-hmm. there were none in the area. And then I connected with a speech therapist in my area, who is uh, now we're good friends, and we were kind of like, well, I want to do a Lego group and I wanted to do a Lego group too. So we decided to collaborate and start a Lego based therapy program together. And we would run it together with a speech therapist and a mental health therapist facilitating. And then we kind of we divided it between our two practices. And my practice now focuses on Lego based therapy groups for children, elementary school age children. And it's been running since fall of 2014. So it's been three years. I love it. I fell in love with it because uh, it's so effective and you can see the results. You can set very measurable goals and you can see the kids accomplishing those goals. It's, it's really amazing mm. how that works. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Like how Again, I feel like the theme of this conversation is you take a personal experience, you kind of you start to see that there could there's really a gap, right? There's nothing like that being offered. Mm-hmm. And then you create something to fulfill that need. Yes, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> well, I guess a bunch of little steps right in between. <laughs> yes. Alona, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful just for getting to know you and continuing to, you know, deepen our friendship and our relationship. So where can folks learn more about you and the good work that you're doing in the world? So uh, they can learn about me and my practice on our website. It's sostherapyservices.com. It has my bio on it and other therapists' descriptions also. And it describes all the services that are out there. And of course, you know, I'm always available to talk on the phone or to meet up for lunch and talk more about my services. Sounds great. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alona. And uh, especially if you're working with kids, I hope that it's given you some new ideas, and especially in terms of how to branch out and add services and all of those different things. And even if uh, you don't work with kids, I hope that it's given you some ideas in terms of when to decide what services to add and maybe the sort of the process, I think, of adding services as and the adding services that we provide. There was actually one key thing that I was taking away, which I think is, you know, especially I think when we look at a website of a private practitioner or even in like groups online, like Facebook groups or anything like that, sometimes when folks share things, right, like about services they're providing, I think the natural kind of human tendency can always be to wonder like, man, I wish I could do that, or I wish I was there. And I think the thing that I'm taking away from Alona's conversation is that, you know, this has been just a very like deliberate and process, right? Deliberate, slow, thoughtful, 
literally a brick by brick process. You know, I think sometimes in online spaces, we see the finished product and we want that, but we don't always realize all the work that it, it takes to create something like that. And so I think more than anything, I hope that it just encourages you to slow down and realize that all of us, we have unique life circumstances and things that are happening. And for all of us, our practices are going to look different and they're going to grow at different rates because as we're building our practices and our careers, life doesn't stop, right? So, and because of that, it looks going to look very different than for all of us. Again, you can find more information about Ilona and the good work that she's doing in the world over at sostherapyservices.com and show notes to today's episode and some of the resources and tips and all of the things that Alona mentioned can be found over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 143. If you guys have followed me on the STC newsletter or are part of the STC Facebook community, uh, you know I have been working diligently here for almost the past year and a half on the STC directory and we are actually very close to launching and I am going to be completely honest and just say that I have a good amount of butterflies and nervousness about launching. Uh, This is the third big thing that I have launched besides, you know, first the podcast and then Healthcasters back in 2015 and now the directory here in 2018. And I wanted to create this directory because, you know, there isn't anything online that's actually focused on the helper and healer in private practice. And my goal with the directory is to just make this process of referrals and connecting with other clinicians who maybe work in the same niches and populations we do and make that process of collaborating with them a lot easier. And also, if you're a supervisor and you're looking for supervisees or if you are a supervisee and you need your hours and you're looking for supervisees, There's parts in the directory where you can actually filter and and find supervisors and all of those different things. All that to say, I feel nervous about it, but I know that, you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I truly believe that this is something that could be so helpful to our field. And I think one of the scariest things of creating something like this is wondering whether, um, people will see and people will trust, you know, the, the vision that you have. And, um, but I'm excited and hope that you'll be able to join me. I really do think this is something that's going to be so helpful for us and on our journey. And I would just so love your support, especially if uh, the podcast has been helpful and been helpful on your private practice journey. You can find more information about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Have a wonderful rest of your week and I'm so grateful for you. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching. So 
it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.